This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The world continues to change in more dynamic ways than ever. A constantly changing world requires an adaptive and responsive strategy. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection, CBP, remains committed to meeting existing and emerging challenges head on. And information technology plays an integral role in how CBP meets its critically important mission to protect the American people, safeguard our borders, and enhance the nation's economic prosperity. What is the IT strategy for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection? How is CBP working to modernize its IT infrastructure? And how is it using technology and innovation to change the way it does business? We'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Sunny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Sunny, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about some great things at CBP. Thank you. That's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to set some context for our, for our listeners. Would you mind providing us with an overview of the mission of your office? And more importantly, how does it support the overall mission of CBP? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, having uh, sort of been in the business, as it were, uh, uh, 37 years in various agencies and uh, various capacities as a CXO and CIO, uh, CBP has a fantastic mission, obviously, to protect the American people, safeguard our borders, and enhance the nation's economic prosperity. Uh, succinctly put, uh, that's that's a tremendous mission, and 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 that's a 24 by 7 global mission. So as we are ensuring uh, the, the country's physical and economic security, you know our values, our core values, are about vigilance, service to country, and integrity. So, uh, you know, as our nation and our agency is increasingly calling on my office of information and technology and as a CIO to meet the challenges of this sort of uh, new ever-changing requirement and environment and 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 many ever-changing requirements as well, I also, uh, uh, you know, have an office that has to be agile and to support sort of, uh, you know, at the speed of mission to address threats, solve problems in the digital age. Everything is digital nowadays and is mobile. Also, the people of OIT distinguish themselves from their commitment and willingness to, to, to volunteer to kind of come every obstacle that the agency faces, meaning that even in the age of COVID, we seamlessly carry on the mission of the agency and we've done that. I think in adherence to the authorities and within as, a, as a sort of the largest and key component of the Department of Homeland Security and their mission goals, we also work collaboratively across the DHS agencies to support and accomplish uh, key initiatives for cost savings, operational efficiency, and national security within DHS. So it's not only CBP, it's DHS. We also work across other government agencies. We also work with I a mean, huge amount of uh, industry partners, uh, 162,000 users in that area. And, and we also work with uh, 98 international countries, including uh, the five I countries. Uh, so, it's a tremendous mission. So I think one of the things that we do, again, to support this CDP mission that I talked that I talked about earlier, is you know we leverage sort of the agency's unique uh, authorities, the data holding, the intelligence enterprise, all our partnerships that I just talked about with those five in the five areas. We've also increased situational awareness so that we can respond, impede, and respond to illicit uh, cross-border traffic. We anticipate, identify, address threats that inhibit the cross-border commerce. And now the e-commerce has sort of taken off as well in, in a big way. 
we uh, we make sure that uh, we keep that going and and obviously uh, uh, protect the country as well. We're leveraging cutting edge and technology so that we can sort of transform the traveler verification and drastically reduce the need to verify physical travel documents. We are looking at stakeholder interactions to make sure we can facilitate that lawful trade and business. Uh, and we're also recruiting, hiring, and training uh, the most qualified people. And uh, you know, it, it's it's not an eight to five job. Uh, it, it's uh, so uh, uh, amazing to kind of make sure that uh, we can achieve all these goals in a very uh, timely uh, manner. That's wonderful. Thank you, Sonny. So, you know, what about your specific duties and responsibilities as the Assistant Commissioner uh, and Chief Information Officer for CBP? My job is to manage the technology infrastructure uh, and uh, uh, also not only the operations uh, tactically 24-7, also the cybersecurity of it, make sure the data is available, uh, make sure it's available mobile, make sure collaboration tools are available so that people can be mission ready and improve the ability of all employees, including officers and agents in the field to perform their critical work anywhere, anytime. We also obviously have a global mission and we're doing a lot of uh, collaboration with other countries and agencies to make sure that the mission that I talked about earlier just works seamlessly. So if you look at the scale of this, and I've been in a Fortune 20 company as a chief engineer before, uh, and, and I've been in government uh, as well for over 20 to 23 years in, in, in federal and state government, you're like we're like a couple of Fortune 20 companies operating at scale every day. I mean, that's the scale of what I'm talking about here with CVP. So it's an incredible mission. So anything from the mobile devices that connect the field to a broader agency, to the systems and technologies that sort of help us screen people and make sure who, what are the people and goods entering our country, make sure that, you know, it's, it's there, they are who they are and it's all safe according to our laws of a country, to the data centers and networks that keep uh, information accessible and flowing. And, and obviously things are moving very fast now. Everything's digital, high definition. We got all kinds of sensors that are picking up information. So all that data has to traverse our network. So we manage the whole life cycle of uh, information technology and information resource management, which is the design, development, programming, testing, development, implementation, training, maintenance, all of that stuff for all the systems. You know, with such a robust portfolio uh, and such a critical mission for the country, I'm wondering, it has to be challenging. You know, I mean, uh, regardless of how successful it's been, it's wonderful to hear that. I was wondering, what are some of your top management challenges that you face in your current position? And, and more importantly, Sonny, how have you sought to address those challenges? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think so. I look at challenges and opportunities. I'm, I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also a realist. So I'd say if I were to focus on the larger picture, you know, I think first, just uh, making sure that we're very focused on our delivery, so build upon the tactical excellence, but get a strategic uh, transformation. So we focus on our projects, but we have a strategy and then execute that strategy and have the discipline to ex execute and streamline and support at the speed of mission. So so I think keeping that uh, uh, is, is definitely uh, 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 something that we're focused on. We also need to modernize as, uh, uh, you know, what used to be an 18-month uh, sort of Moore's Law is now sort of uh, six months, you know. So things are changing very fast. And we operate in a two-year two budget cycle, right? In the federal government, you have to have a two-year budget cycle. And it's all about equity and process. So we have to find ways to modernize and improve, you know, modernize IT infrastructures, improve cybersecurity, expand applications, 
roll them out, not only for us, but also with DHS and regardless of all these challenges. And so that requires a very focused effort. I can tell you in some of the historical challenges I was just mentioning earlier, we, we have about 40 agile teams that are dealing with all that level of data I was talking about earlier and, and handling that those petabytes of data, but also handling what's really succinct and important to have targeted uh, uh, response. And in some cases, we usually have two-week uh, agile deliveries. We were sometimes doing self-same couple of days <laughs> because of the urgency. That's unprecedented, but that's because you know, the people have a mission and I have never seen this. I, and I think it's just a testament to not only the excellent people at CBP, but also across the US government. They don't get a, I don't, I don't think they get a fair shake actually or, or appreciation. And I'll also say the contract was supporting us. People love their mission and job and just they do amazing things and, and, and unsung heroes. The third thing is we need to take care of our people because they're working amazing things. And so, so I can talk about, I can extol all the great things on technology modernization that we did. We, we were obviously were lucky enough to be the first in DHS to do that. We got some amazing results. But at the end of the day, I think, uh, as I mentioned, the challenge is to modernize, take tactical excellence, build strategic transformation, focus on the people. And then I think, uh, you know, so we're doing that. Yeah, and I'm going to dig a little deeper into your IT strategy and, and really discuss those priorities shortly. But, you know, given your background, Sonny, and the success you're having to date uh, with CBP, I was wondering, uh, you, you have a, a, a very vast background, both in government, private sector. How do you lead? What makes one, in your mind, an effective leader? What are some of those characteristics? And perhaps you can share some of those principles that thought you that guide you uh, with our audience. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. I think one of the things is uh, so. You know, uh, my name is Sunny, but actually, my, that's my nickname. My real name is Sanjeev. So I, I have a little bit of East and West, the best of East and West, I guess, in a way. You know, I come, uh, I'm proud to be an American and uh, I, I learn from, uh, from all the great uh, cultures that we come together. And I think uh, that focus uh, brings me a little bit of the, the best of East and West, as I mentioned, in terms of empathy, caring, humility, and all those sort of things, and diplomacy also with, you know, uh, sort of can do and get it done, right? Uh, we've so we have got we've got such a great country where uh, uh, you know anyone can sort of achieve anything and we can all uh, make anything happen and as a as a first Indian American in a lot of these positions in the government I'm especially proud of that and uh, so I, I just want to kind of show that as one of the characteristics and one of the things that I've learned is that it's important to walk the talk to sort of measure what you accomplish what you measure is what you get but you got to be there first with the team so that they know that you care. And I think that to me is the most important that I try to treat people with respect, you know, and uh, everyone starts with a clean slate and uh, you want them to all succeed and be better because I want to make it a win-win proposition. I, I, I like to lead with that and, and people can sort of see who I am. It's, it's a connection thing, you know, it's a build trust thing. And, and people know that, you know, are you just BS or are you really, you know, making things happen? So I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll admit our mistakes and I will, uh, you know, fix it. And I think our trusted partnership is an excellent example of that uh, with our team. I personally participate in all those meetings so that they know that the leader is there. So I provide a clear vision to my, uh, to the, uh, to our workforce as to what we need to do. I, I lead by telling that this is what's acceptable. I want teamwork. I want us to operate at the speed of mission. 
I built upon the success of my predecessors. So I think it's changed the culture quite a bit, actually. And people feel empowered. And I like to lead people with positivity and patience and empathy and, and sort of, uh, you know, let's uh, look at it together. I'm, I'm also encouraged by this diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, I feel like uh, in America, uh, we are the best because there's opportunity. It's a land of opportunity. But it's also, uh, you know, our, our sort of melting pot has allowed us to bring many, many different uh, uh, backgrounds and, and viewpoints into allowing us to be better. I suppose just be humble, measure what you get and build trust. And uh, if you have empathy, uh, you know, people will, uh, will follow you. What are the strategic IT priorities for the U.S. Customs and Border Protection? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Sunny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. You mentioned in the previous segment, Sonny, the you kind of hinted at your your strategic vision, your IT strategy for CBP. I'd like to delve a little deeper and recognize that you know information technology plays a a really integral role in how you, basically the agency meets its mission. It's a very important mission. Would you present a picture of your IT strategy a little bit more, you know wider and deeper? And more importantly, if you can focus on those strategic priorities and give us a sense of what they are. Strategy is really important because strategies are we doing the right things? And then you have to have a measurement framework. Are we doing them right? So this is something that I'm trained in this area. So one of the things is, uh, is interesting. My background is, you know, I've got a couple of degrees in engineering and then I sort of got a degree in uh, management. And then I also got some CIO certifications and that gave me that opened up my horizon. So I'm not the typical engineer, although I can be very technical. I don't let that on too much. Because I'm very fascinated in these meetings when I can see people, what they're really saying and not saying, you know, and vendors sometimes are, are giving some BS sometimes, but it's okay. But as I mentioned before, I try to give people enough ways so that they can come out and, you know, understand why are they doing something and why are they have a line of sight to a strategy, not just tactical. I think CVP, uh, and I, I just have to give kudos to all my predecessors here. They've set up a very good tactical operations excellence that is a good, strong foundation to build upon. I'm continuing that and even taking that further, because as I mentioned, it's everyone's job to kind of see if you can continuously improve and also build that teamwork, as I mentioned. But build a strategy where you can, first of all, build a strategy together, align that strategy, not only uh, of us IT strategy to the CVP strategy, which has been laid out. And uh, there are five uh, enduring mission priorities that, that uh, our commissioner has sort of laid out. And with the, those five enduring mission priorities, we are also uh, looking at how we IT not only line up with those mission uh, enduring mission priorities, we are part of the 10 strategic objectives, uh, I'm sorry, 12 strategic objectives that are uh, that are part of that. We also have to line up with the department, right? It's because uh, the de de department also provides us uh, through the White House what their priorities are for the administration. So we have set up a, a, an IT strategy that really clearly uh, looks at uh, uh, sort of being a force multiplier. And there are six focus areas that uh, uh, I think are really, really important for us. As I mentioned before, uh, uh, the first thing is uh, mission applications. 
Well, our lifeblood is data and, of course, apps that allow us to, uh, uh, you know, uh, make sure that we're providing capabilities uh, through increased uh, uh, sort of incre increasing capabilities everywhere in the hands of our agents and officers and support staff every day. So, for example, mission applications could include artificial intelligence, machine learning now, and robotic process automation, facial comparison technology, where we're processing, the, processing those 1.2 million passengers a day and pedestrians and everyone coming into and in and out of the country within two-second adjudication at some of the 328 ports of entry. So, you know, I'm saying that's that's really important, right? Uh, and I think uh, uh, also uh, we are making sure that, uh, uh, you know, we are using this uh, successful unified immigration portal that has been built to allow us to allow many agencies to share data together so that we can look at the whole life cycle of who's coming in and, and, and see how we can help and, uh, and, and track and, 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 and support the folks who are coming at the border. So there's there's that. So mission applications, we've got many, many teams doing that. So that strategy has to be, it has to be very agile. So we use agile frameworks to del deliver these mission applications and it has to be responsive. The second area is mission infrastructure. So we've got to keep on providing an infrastructure that's very robust and, and allowing us to sort of be available to look at all the high uh, amounts of data and, and other traffic that's going across this because the world is changing now. You can do a high-definition video right on your phone. I gotta let I gotta I gotta backhaul that traffic through the through the network. There's operational technology, different from information technology, where in the Internet of Things and other devices are sending lots of data coming in. We have huge assets in there. We have several hundred thousand assets of uh, devices that anything from surveillance to sensors to all kinds of assets that are mobile or, or uh, you know, airborne or on the sea or land that are sending information back in. And so processing all that through the infrastructure requires a very robust network in remote areas, but I might add, beyond the 328 ports of entry. Uh, so we also have to migrate to the cloud and also uh, track the m mobile wireless uh, capabilities so that our officers and agents can go to remote areas and really conduct their uh, mission in a very resilient way. So I think that to me is a second area. The third strategy is, uh, you know, what do we govern? So we have established, we now know our entire uh, portfolio of stuff. You know, you, you first got to know what you manage and then how are you managing them better to kind of, uh, making sure stakeholders understand this is what we need to do to kind of uh, be successful. But we're also looking at data in a big way. So, you know, this also includes data governance and data strategy. We've come up with a data strategy, obviously. We have an architecture for the first time, an enterprise architecture that allows us to kind of, we have a catalog of everything that we have, uh, what are some of the things that maybe we should be a little bit more effective and efficient on, and then look at that from an acquisition standpoint. So we have a roadmap on that. We've also got dashboards now. I can see dashboards on how well are we doing, right? I said strategy is doing the right things. Are we doing the right things? And measurement is are we doing them right? So that's another area. So that's that's number three. Number four uh, strategy is cybersecurity. Let's secure everything we got so that uh, eventually we want to not trust anything in the sense of it's called the zero trust uh, environment. And what it is is that because there's zero day attacks that can happen from adversaries, you got to have zero trust, meaning that even those days are gone where you could trust immediately, even a .gov domain in some sense, because if the adversaries are attacking, we got to just make sure that we protect everything from that standpoint. And 
when you're withstanding the scale that I'm talking about, when you're doing those 40 billion daily data exchanges and you're you're blocking what 40 billion attempts a day, uh, you know you have to be very very focused. So we have very specific cyber attempts that uh, or cyber strategy fully compliant with the presidential and the other NIST framework of identify, protect, detect, react, uh, respond, recover, and then set up many, many capabilities. I won't talk about those, of course, but uh, we have some solid capabilities to kind of track that every day so that we are um, you know, managing these, uh, these cyber threats uh, and, and, and doing that consistently. The fifth area is obviously uh, what I call uh, our trusted partnerships and in that area like i mentioned five areas to make sure that we are providing exactly what our partners want so we've got something like 60 engagements across 20 partners all the dhs components all the government agencies uh, that we deal with uh, because uh, on several of these programs from operation allies welcome to our border search we are dealing with a lot of other agencies and 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 including uh, at the airports, we deal with other agencies. So all of that work is also there. Our industry partners, 162,000 sort of partners. Uh, we recently released the uh, an ACE portal that is live now, modernized uh, compared to uh, you know the access that we had before. So that's a big deal. And finally, our 98 uh, countries that we deal with, our international countries. So I think all that's been really, really good. I think if I can just say that in this strategy, it, it, it's, it's depending on it's dependent on having resiliency. We got to survive, uh, you know, outages and and so on and so forth. So we're getting more resilient as we're going to the cloud. We're delivering uh, new ways that we can be more resilient uh, in terms of IT solutions. Uh, there's there's an, there's also resiliency of the human workforce, of course. Uh, so I thought I'd bring that in as well. Um, I, I think as you put these solutions in, in hands of people, you know, uh, this agile delivery, as I was mentioning earlier in the uh, uh, applications is really, really key. So we've come up with a very agile way that I can have, like I said, those 40 somewhat teams really go fast. But I also have almost 140 robotic process automation projects going on where it's not just the CIO's office that's doing the innovation work. I want to teach everyone to fish. You know, my idea is so that they can also develop themselves, right? And so they're doing it. And so as long as they register with us and work with us within a certain framework that we know what they're doing so we don't duplicate effort. And that's taken off. It's really big. And so we're saving tons of time and, and money and on that, and mainly time and efficiency for the mission. We also have 40 projects going on in artificial intelligence, machine learning, but we're doing it a little bit slowly and deliberately there because, you know, the ethics of it has to be done correctly and so on and so forth. The digital ethics is what I'm talking about. And uh, so anyway, I think overall, we have a way to do an enterprise-wide services. So that's the other thing we're trying to do so that if there are standard services that can be provided everywhere, like collaboration tools or a consolidated network or a, or a cybersecurity service or certain collaborative tools that we need to kind of have people you know work together all those should be standardized and enterprise provided the unique things are the data and some of the mission apps so, so anyway long story short that's what we're doing in uh, exciting times ahead yeah it's a very thoughtful engagement approach you know i was wondering if we could delve a little deeper you mentioned cloud computing earlier and you know cbp as i understand it uses multiple clouds sunny and low code no code platforms 
today. I, I was wondering, do you see sort of this hybrid cloud construct as the future? The short answer is yes. <laughs> so uh, I'll just make three points, quick points in this one, because I've been somewhat verbose on the others. Uh, yeah, I think multi-cloud and hybrid are part of the future. So the answer is yes, and it's part of the cloud journey, depending on mission needs. Uh, it's interesting for me personally on this account because uh, back in the day when the, the the former federal CIO under I think Obama administration had come out, with, I used to be interior CIO, was a department CIO there, and uh, he, you know he came up with this idea about. Uh, and, and I remember him coming to the Federal CIO Council and he said, hey, listen, I've been looking for somebody to volunteer to have a sort of a night job. I said, yeah, we already got busy day jobs, <laughs> you know. And he said, no, yeah, but the night job is, uh, I'm coming with this idea called, uh, I want to do something called cloud. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And so when we, we mission, so anyway, some of us helped out with, uh, if you remember, data.gov in the cloud first time, and then the cloud program. And then actually I went to GSA to, help run some of those programs uh, before I went to Hawaii as CIO there. But anyway, bottom line is that framework in 2009 that Vivek Kundra started has really come to a big fruition now. And having seen this journey from all these different sides of it, hybrid cloud indeed is part of most organizational journeys. And at first, when people were somewhat reluctant, now it's happening. The momentum is really there. So we are seeing platform as a service, infrastructure as a service, software as a service, we're seeing many cloud constructs with so that we can include you know increase portability we can containerize applications so that we mitigate risks and uh, uh, you know and, and obviously you can have a single or multiple cloud service providers as well uh, we uh, use a hybrid and multi cloud approach when we continue to modernize our infrastructure uh, what i've said publicly is uh, we were supposed to be at 32% as our goal of the migration journey, and we were at 45%, so way ahead of goal. Uh, and, and it's going to get a little bit harder as we go forward, because now the high-value asset application, the tougher ones are going to get migrated, but still. So I think we want to have a certain amount of databases on the edge as part of a hybrid state. We obviously have a, a very good almost tier four data center. We have to maintain that a little bit and then finally migrate away from it to the cloud. We want to migrate all our applications to the cloud so that they're thoughtfully protected and, and preserved. Because really, at the end of the day, the data is the key thing to preserve. Our mission requires resilient systems, so we have to have uh, east-west and other kinds of presence so that we can make that access to those systems with scalable infrastructure, obviously. Uh, security is key, and it's not just network security. It's really the data security so that data can... Because once it goes to the cloud, you know, there's a record of it. So I have a chief records officer along with a sort of a data officer and chief technology officer and uh, an infrastructure to kind of keep that going. And lastly, the third point I'll just say is that I think as we are trying to uh, not just centralize the delivery of the cloud services, we're trying to have a cloud program that can manage that, meaning that we have a, we have a cloud dashboard, we have a cloud strategy that we go through the governance council, everyone sort of participates in that. And then we're encouraging everyone to kind of go through the South Cloud Center of Excellence and then register their cloud <laughs> and hopefully use our corporate cloud services and you know earn their trust and, and, serve, and uh, support. So I think this center of excellence is the governance and structure and automation is, in, is increasing. And uh, uh, I, I think the future is really bright uh, for the cloud journey. 
You know, Sonny, you outlined a lot of the efforts that you're pursuing and you're getting recognition, uh, as I understand it, last year. CBP was named uh, winner for public sector excellence by the Technology Business Management Council for driving what you basically have, have given us a tutorial on, you know, do digital transformation with IT cost savings. I was wondering if you could spend a little time and share with us some of the approaches and tools that have enabled CBP to drive that innovation, the agility that you spoke of, and the transformation you've highlighted. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I'll just say that for too long, a lot of our staff here, they're not glory hounds or, you know, award seekers. But I can tell you that their job and their work here easily warrants some of the awards having, having done this in other places as well. And they're doing some amazing work. So I, I need to call out a few people who are doing fantastic work. And it all starts up with my budget director, Patty Howell. Uh, I also have my chief of staff in the room. She also helped out. But there are many other executive directors. And uh, Ms. Janet Pence is the chief of staff. And others who uh, really uh, sort of... Uh, you know, started this journey, and there are many executive directors here who helped uh, sort of, uh, you know, come up with this. Uh, say, okay, I, we will uh, join join up. Keep in mind that this idea was supposedly the CIO CFO council thing, right? Remember, where it's going to account for all the uh, uh, all the all your cost of data, and so you know that went over like a you know. So people were like, oh yeah, this is exciting, right? Right. I'll get right on it, you know, kind of thing, right? And then, of course, the CFO council, you know, they were like, sure, CIO council, why don't you guys leave? And even that, the adoption was kind of low, you know, so just saying that. So while the White House came up with that, it's a good idea, you know, uh, we wanted to be very thoughtful on how we did that. So uh, uh, being that I'm one of those, uh, I guess, uh, you know, CIO folks who sort of come up with the journey, I believe in this stuff, actually. And having been professionally trained in this, I, I, when Patty and I talked, and you know, and Janet was also wanting to help, and and then all these other executive directors, I said, you know, this is a very interesting thing, but let's look at one or two models first. We had a good vendor also uh, uh, that sort of wanted to do it, and I said, let's let's do something. So this thing was definitely uh, something where, in my opinion, was. Uh, uh, something that uh, is is a labor of love, <laughs> if you would, and also professional approach. So we have uh, uh, the budget director and others sort of facilitated this journey, and we started this TBM uh, technology business management by by looking at cost uh, in in various uh, ways. So we wanted to obviously uh, uh, have an implementation that would start off with uh, sort of uh, looking at uh, a phase implementation. And this, this started with the federal capital planning process because, you know, we have the select, control, evaluate, right? So the first thing we did was we needed to be data-driven. So internal focus first, we wanted to have, uh, uh, you know, build upon IT tower and, and cost pool data within our internet, in, internal roles. So we did data management. Uh, we built uh, uh, a budget and cost models for the IT towers, which are the way that they track uh, CIO council financial management for computing and networking and all that kind of stuff. So we allowed this allowed the budget analysts to then we can categorize these funds across uh, various aspects of the planning, programming, budget, and execution cycle. We use uh, sub towers and cost pools so that we can then uh, get get a greater insight into where people are spending the stuff. Uh, 
we started doing that across uh, cloud. We did that across network. We did that across computing. So there are about four main areas that we focused on. And I said, let's get those four models together. We also try to share with other agencies or learn from other agencies what they're doing. We realized pretty soon that we're actually we're much further ahead than most agencies. And also then we started adding circuits. So uh, went to the network uh, uh, group and said, hey, can we look at the circuit cost? Because remember, when people are getting all their circuit costs, they still have to pull the money to pay us for circuits, right, In, internally. So we were able to then show transparency for circuits because, you know, they love the they love the performance because they're sending more high bandwidth, what I was talking about earlier, right? High video and all this stuff across it. But then we gave them the bill and they're like, yeah, we kind of want lower bill. And we're like, no, you're, you're in remote areas. You know, it's, it's cost, cost a bit, right? But then we use some innovation looking at this cost model allowed us some insights into what can we get for using different types of uh, broadband ICP or other circuits. We were able to uh, look into the entire uh, 1.5 to $1.8 billion spend and start seeing this transparency and put up some uh, uh, dashboards that allowed us to then communicate what are the type of things that we're buying and, and show that immediately to our stakeholders, starting out with the CFO and then showing our other partners. Frankly, I also had a chat with some of the TBM experts and uh, some of the CEOs of those companies and stuff like that. And they were like, uh, wow, this is pretty good for government. So we were lucky enough to be the only second agency ever, federal agency ever to get an award. So I think that's good. But more, more than anything else, we based on the use cases. And I think that really allowed us to be better uh, in terms of what we implemented. So. Uh, we are trying to look a little bit more into the cloud because people are still sort of trying to figure that out. It's a very complex way to look at that cost model and, and figure that out. I think government, we, we uh, you know, and before that I was in treasury uh, as a CIO there where obviously we're a shared service provider as well. So that cost modeling has to be done a little bit better. But I was even talking to someone the other day and they're like, uh, you guys are further ahead in, in, in some of the things we're doing here. So. I think it's a testament really to the team and we received the award because although you know private and commercial sectors versus that public sector has some unique challenges because of the equity process and the reporting and the very specific laws and regulations are very very specific into the colors of money unfunded mandates appropriation structures we have to manage different kinds of issues from many many different slicing and dicing of data and i think uh, that was really important so anyway so we've got cloud, cybersecurity, network, uh, and, and uh, circuits as uh, some of the uh, uh, key areas in this TBM award. And really, really proud of this achievement by Patty and, uh, and the team. Uh, she's been doing this for 40 years, I think. So she must have started right from high school, right from, uh, you know, so she, she's done a great job. And uh, I can tell you, she's one of the best budget directors I've ever seen in government. So, so glad to have her on the team and her team and the whole team and, like I said, others who have helped out. How has COVID affected the IT operations of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Sunny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Uh, Sunny, can I ask, um, how has COVID and the pandemic 
affected your IT operations? How has it aided? And, you know, more interestingly, has it impeded your continued efforts towards transformation? Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting question, you know. Uh, so I think from a human angle, I can give one answer and I can give from a technology angle. It's very interesting. I'll just say that, uh, first of all, uh, we are the largest law enforcement agency in the United States and, and we are a 24-7 operation. So, you know, we are kind of tough. We got to get it done because we have to achieve our mission. So it's definitely been challenging uh, for everybody, you know, across the country, across our agency, but uh, people have sort of come to the fore, but there has been a cost. So I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we implemented sort of a mobile solution so the workforce could work remotely and that allows us to keep operations going. We also had a way to partner with our response by looking at a way we can sort of, uh, you know, do an application so that we can not only track the vaccination, but see how people are uh, uh, taking advantage of making sure that the vaccination is, is tracked. We've had an automated commercial environment workforce uh, uh, sort of seamlessly transition to a full mobile model. And we've also had uh, electronic advanced passenger information system that was very key to uh, sort of the vital response. We've also looked at uh, legitimate import and export of uh, the COVID vaccinations themselves, uh, the masks, the testing and PPEs uh, and medication to and from government agencies and other countries and, and look at the supply chain because that ability to bring the supply chain directly to America's doorstep and lessening the burden on the vital frontline workers was very key. We had about 9.6 million travelers enrolled in the Trusted Traveler program uh, with 7.2 in global entry. And so membership growth exceeded 200,000 in FY21. And then prior to that, of course, Global Entry had a conditional approved application made in-person appointments. So during the pandemic, of course, video conferencing and other techniques allowed an interview with, uh, with an increase of 350,000 conditionally approved application and a growing backlog of applicants. So that, that was another thing. We did a lot of a remote interview process were, uh, were done uh, all through uh, the remote technology, uh, which is more than 2,000. 200 and then we had many many successful interviews conducted across 24 countries and 48 states so i just think since the february of 2021 this remote interview process also has been successful but i'd say overall you know nature abhors a vacuum you know nature finds a way you know and we have with the law of entropy right it's the law of entropy i believe we have not only done the entropy but we've done it with empathy and also tried to really do the job and the mission and and so I, I feel like it's it's enabled uh, the transformation, but it also impeded in the sense that it has had an impact in some places. You know, we've had some, I'll just use the word casualty in a way, I guess, but what I really mean is that uh, there's, there's a toll, you know, because people work all the time. And so I think from that standpoint, but people are very resilient. And I think uh, I'm just hoping for another, you know, hope springs eternal, as they say. So we're just hoping that we're around the corner and, and getting ready into a new normal. Yeah. Um, a couple of more questions before I let you go, if you don't mind. You know, Sonny, can you demystify how you are pulling and using the technology modernization on TMF to work for CBP? And, and perhaps how do you use it and how have you collaborated across DHS to apply it? Yeah. So uh, there are about three things that we have. I'll talk about one main specific thing and I'll, then I'll just keep a little broader on the other one. 
So we were the first agency in DHS to uh, to get the under previous administration to sort of apply for, and then uh, sort of took a while. It took almost a year, but we were patient. Uh, so we are patient, and persistent, and and professional. And so we we you know, we want to do the ACE collections. Remember, I talked about the fact that now it collects 96 billion for the country. So at that time, it was in the 70 million kind of air range, if you would. So this system is very important to us in terms of it sitting on a legacy uh, code and 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 technology and and uh, and we wanted to kind of uh, make sure that that collection uh, would allow us to uh, under this modernization technology act of 2017 and at that time it did require repayment uh, just to we we were successful and the first uh, agency within DHS to get it and and I'm pleased to report that we were supposed to do six releases and we have successfully released we completed four of them and uh, we're about to release the fifth one in March and then the last one in this this year uh, we are just been told by GSA and others uh, and the team at board that we are one of the best if not the best and they want to use us as a little bit of a model in terms of uh, how we're doing that. And I think it's a testament to program management across finance department, the finance group, CFO group, my group as CIO and, and our team, and then also the trade, Office of Trade, all working together to kind of make this thing happen. Very strict program management, very good cost estimating, very solid communications, uh, very helpful from GSA TMF into how we should succeed and make that better. And also the you know the repayment we're keeping that going. It's a it's a, it's an exemplary example of give us a little boost and some money to allow us to uh, the time value of money to allow us to get those funds and apply them into this uh, software uh, release, get off uh, legacy technology and mainframe and other things, and then get into this new capability that allows us to go forward. It's been a tremendous example. Recently, uh, we also work with DHS, and this is, I'll defer to the DHS CIO to talk about it, uh, but we are supporting them in uh, the Southwest Border Technology Integration, and that was approved, so that's public knowledge. And in that, we are supporting a DHS Tri-Bureau across CBP, ICE, and CIS, but I'll let DHS talk about it, and that is to kind of help out with some border technologies uh, that we need. We are also, obviously, uh, uh, in the process of another area to you know help us in some of the travel areas and I'll, I'll, the DHS uh, announcements will, will go in that area. But I'll just say overall, uh, just uh, I'm a big supporter of TMF and I think the new TMF has now gone from a $38 million fund from previous to $1 billion. And uh, we uh, think that's a good idea to help agencies like us who are very good in our management and very good in our fiduciary responsibilities and get things done and get capabilities out that can help the public. And that ACE collection example is a great one. So the return on investment is a good one, considering that we just in 21, like I said, from 78 million, 78 billion, sorry, to 96 billion, the largest ever we've ever done in the history of the United States government collection for agency uh, for us in that area. Uh, it's been great, right? Of course, as you know, of course, IRS is the biggest collection agency, but we're the second biggest. But for second biggest, that's a pretty good number. That's wonderful. You know, uh, I was wondering a couple more questions. I'm going to jump around a little bit because I want to give you back your day. But one area I want to talk about, make sure we talk about, Sonny, is uh, your efforts in your current role. What are you doing around workforce development, recruitment, retention, and what is being done to address the IT skills gap and attract and onboard the right people 
uh, with the right talent and put them in the right jobs? Yeah, as I mentioned, you know, it's all about the people. And I think uh, we in the government need to do a little bit more to attract our younger folks coming into the into our jobs, you know. So, uh, you know, I've got two sons myself and uh, and sometimes, you know, obviously my wife and I try to encourage them to serve the government. And, you know, anyway, when they go through the myriad of websites and everything else, it's, it's not as encouraging as to how they get into this process, right? So we need a little bit of young blood into our into our workforce. I just gave that example of my son, just as a as a you know I'm a father myself, right? So so looking at that standpoint, but uh, I see that from the younger workforce who also managed to come in because we need to as we age, uh, we need to bring that young blood into and keep this uh, you know the concept of public service as a noble profession, you know, and 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 I believe very highly in the noble profession and. And like I told you before, coming into work like CVP, an incredible mission where you are actually like you get the you get the experience of two Fortune 20 companies all in one at scale. But then you also get the opportunity that you're in the battlefield every day. There's so much stuff going on. You know, you have to withstand cyber attacks. You've got to process all this stuff in the airports, ports of entry. You got, uh, you know, uh, flying assets. You got land, sea. I mean, you, you got a lot of stuff going on, right? So it's a tremendous, tremendous mission. And so I think I would highly encourage people to, you know, come for that. And, and if they're into that, the answer is we've, so the answer to your question is three things, branding, recruitment, and retention. So we have a proactive approach to workforce, first of all, development, uh, recruitment, and talent retention so that we can have an agile workforce and, and professionals who can kind of meet our mission. We've established uh, uh, this three-pronged approach for branding, recruitment, and retention. The first is the frontline careers are well known in the conscious of the public, you know, irrespective of sometimes in the media you hear here, things are there. We try to show you real-world examples, as I'm saying here, and I'm spending time to show you that I've been in those worlds. I've been in industry. I've been in other organizations, and I'm saying I've been in state government. I've, I've seen travel environments. I'm saying to, uh, to people here that the CVP Frontline careers are amazing experience and, and they will learn everything from public service in various areas, including cyber, uh, to also, also allow people who are historically underrepresented to participate. We want to, uh, you know, recruit the next generation of talent, you know, uh, as agents, officers or support staff. But we need to also educate the people on who we are and what we do. So I think we're trying to increase our presence on popular social media partner with uh, DHS-wide webinars. I try to participate uh, discussing our careers. I get a lot of people who follow me and call me for advice. And uh, uh, and, and and every now and then it's good that they listen. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, in fact, I got a call last night, somebody who I haven't talked to in a while and said, really respect and follow your career. And I was like, I'm amazed. And they said, uh, you know, thank you for everything you're doing. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that matters. And 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 to us, uh, you know, we do it for the love of country and, and mission. So I think a lot of career opportunity at cvp.gov and usajobs.gov. So take a look at that. And I think CVP is a very noble and top-notch uh, agency. I've been in FBI and some top-notch, top-notch companies. I've obviously been in uh, Fortune 20 companies like Boeing and I've been in many, many different areas. And I'll just say CVP uh, stands uh, at the, you know, uh, right up there at the top with them. And, uh, second is recruitment. I think uh, we have a complex mission, large geographical footprint, a lot of lot of work. So we'll not be bored at CBP, that's for sure. So plenty to do. And so we try to establish a capable and 
balanced workforce. We've increased engagement with colleges and universities, also trying to recruit at historical, you know, HSBCUs and, and make sure we can also recruit. Uh, uh, I'm a minority myself. And, uh, uh, you know, try to have diversity, equity, inclusion so that we'd like to bring in some entry-level IT and cyber professionals. And our cyber pay is actually not bad, uh, considering uh, what we have some retention and other kinds of capability to recruit, including, I think, recruitment bonus and stuff like that. We've also partnered with uh, uh, DHS and the Strategic Recruitment, Diversity, and Inclusion to reach historically underrepresented communities, as I mentioned. Uh, I'm glad the administration's uh, uh, putting a focus on some of that also is good. DOD is identifying recruiting uh, members with applicable training. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of folks who are uh, veterans also come to CDP and, and continue that. It's amazing what they do. We also have uh, state and local government employment centers uh, across the nation to identify local talent in hard to fill duty locations. Uh, and, and so, you know, in some places we are, in a lot of other places across the country, and a uh, great opportunity. It can be argued that some of them may have a better quality of life, but uh, that's another discussion for another day. We also have a DHS Cyber Corps and Cyber Talent Initiative that's uh, recruiting uh, some amazing uh, folks who are coming in. And I'll just say that uh, we do targeted sort of ways that we can fill our specific mission needs. And some of the people have come in and they're like, wow, <laughs> it's pretty, it's really amazing leading edge stuff that you're doing. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, if you have a broader mission set, that's really good. So third strategy is retention. Obviously, we want to also retain the workforce. As you know, in a lot of other places, people are sort of going and changing jobs and everything else. So we all have our attrition rates, but we're trying to keep uh, cybersecurity retention incentive. Uh, and, and a training sessions so that we can recommend people kind of stick around. And uh, we have uh, quite a few employees signed up on this retention cyber and other areas. And I think overall people are happy to be here. And, uh, and so far, I think that's what we're trying to do to keep the workforce. At the end of the day, I think it's all about the mission and the fact that they can contribute. So that's what we're trying to do here. That's wonderful, Sonny. You know, you kind of hinted at this, but I want to ask you one more question before I let you go. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Yeah, so that's a good question. And uh, plenty of opportunity to learn, plenty of opportunity to serve, to make a difference and feel good about what you're doing. And plenty of opportunity to parlay that experience into anywhere you go. Once you serve in the government, you can do anything, I can tell you. Some of the folks who come in, uh, I mean, you take folks who have served in the armed forces. You take agents and officers who have served in uh, law enforcement. These are top-notch, very, very high caliber, high integrity, high everything. And then you're working, so hardworking, assiduous, uh, uh, integrity, highest integrity, professional, you know, all those things that, you know, mean something, right? And so I think public service definitely connotes that for me. So I've done this for 23 years uh, with, uh, you know, about 20 years in federal government, three years in state government. I highly recommend it. I've got another 14 in industry. But even there in industry, I've had a chance to kind of work in and learn from those environments. I actually came in government because my wife was in government. I was in industry at the time, actually. And uh, she was in the U.S. Army. And she said, hey, why don't you join the government? And, uh, you know, and then I looked at it and at that time I joined the FBI. 
uh, it was amazing. I, I got just got a mission of, I, I just got this amazing sense of what the mission was and I've never left, uh, you know, so I love it. Uh, I've seen the country. I have experienced federal government. I have experienced state government. I've seen how state government and we serve our citizens of our great country. I've also worked in tribal environments and seen how native peoples, you know, what they had to go through. And it was, uh, it was an eye opener and certainly a learning experience. But at the end of the day, I've, I've grown to appreciate America. I've grown to appreciate our country. Great, and I have a great respect for the CPP mission. What you learn, you can take with you anywhere in your profession. And believe me, when you, when you leave here, you will grow with that appreciation and the consistency of experience while also having stability in the job. There's a lot of pride in serving the country and, the, and being a public servant, as I mentioned. A lot of uh, ingenuity and dedication to solve problems. And then there are many things that you learn every day. Uh, the other day, one, on one hand, I'm talking about how we're stopping forced labor around the world. Next moment, I'm talking about uh, protection against natural security assets. Next moment, I'm talking about trade and how it's coming into the you know country in some areas. Next, next thing I'm dealing with, you know, 1.7 million passengers and how can we make that better? Next thing I'm talking about something in the border. I'm also then looking at. You know, so I'm just talking about just a wide range of mission. You get all of that experience by coming here. So our workforce is just tremendous. I really admire the spirit of the employees that are doing the job every day. And like I said, folks have been here 30, 40, 50. In fact, I just met someone who's been here 50 years and going strong, I might add, by the way. Uh, and so uh, so it, it's it's amazing to watch. I think there are a lot of uh, crucial initiatives. Uh, there's also rewarding experience, like I mentioned. There's a lot of training and development. You get a lot of uh, training and development to allow you to grow. And, and uh, we have a lot of programs in this area. We're also having flexible, responsive work environments. Uh, so people are remote work, telework. Some people are obviously on the front line, so that's been tough. But uh, but you know you can be in, in other locations across the country. Uh, we also obviously have a lot of folks who travel, uh, on, uh, you know, for all the mission that was not only international but national. But I'll summarize by saying daily work to feel meaningful, to contribute to the public good, and making sure that. Uh, you know, uh, you are really uh, serving the, the mission. And again, the mission is again, to protect the American people, safeguard our borders and enhance the nation's economic prosperity. You know, and our mission priorities, obviously, as I mentioned, counterterrorism, combating trans transnational crime, securing the border, facilitating lawful trade and travel and, and facilitating, uh, you know, lawful trade and protecting uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, our financial prosperity and then facilitating lawful uh, travel. So if any of these uh, sort of resonate with you and your core values are vigilance, service, and integrity, please uh, consider joining the government and consider joining CVP. And, uh, and uh, we, we welcome a diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, I must say, Sonny, I want to thank you. Your thoughtfulness and passion uh, seriously come through in our conversation today. So I, I want to thank you for giving me extra time. I want to thank you for your time today. But more importantly, Sonny, I, I want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Sonny Bagawalia, Assistant Commissioner and Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One 
iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us.